Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey friends, you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. On The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about what's happening in the world today, where the world is going, and what the future might be like, and we're not afraid to take an unusual view on those matters. We believe that there's a pretty good case to be made that the world might just be getting better all the time. We believe that if you're not excited about the future, you're not paying attention. And we believe that something's going to happen, something wonderful. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-futurist, co-blogger, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Very, very good. I want to wish you and Soraya a happy anniversary. Oh, thank and you very much. What, what, what does this make, uh, Phil? How many, how many wonderful years have this, you had? This makes eight years, as a matter of fact. We, uh, as, in fact, we're in the interesting between period uh, on anniversaries because we have not one but two anniversaries. We have uh, November 11th, Veterans Day, is our Malaysian anniversary where we had our wedding in Malaysia. And then uh, coming up on November 25th is our American wedding anniversary where we had the wedding in, in the U.S. So we, we had uh, two weddings, so we have two anniversaries. And, you know, that's uh, uh, double the responsibility that I have over most guys in terms of things I have to keep track of and uh, you know, gifts. <laughs> and because uh, both are absolutely important, aren't they? There's not one well, that takes precedence. <laughs> oh no, no, they're they're both important. And uh, the great thing is, if I remember one, if I remember the first one, I'm pretty good about remembering the second one. So it's uh, it's kind of an early warning sign. And if I miss that first one, then I still have some shot at redemption on the second one. See, so well, that, well, that is cool. So I, in in uh, you know, you have double the responsibility, but also double the chances of redemption. So that's pretty cool with the anniversary. Yeah, deal. exactly. A little bit of redundancy built into the system is not uh, not at all a bad thing, actually. And uh, thank you for those. Thank you for those wishes. Let's uh, let's say hi to Michael Darling, our chat host. Michael, are you with us? I am. I'm here. Awesome, man. Welcome to the program. Hey, how about those Broncos? Who? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's nice that, that, bonus points for Michael for having the correct answer on that one. Uh, I don't know why. What what would possess me to bring that up? Let's talk about something else. Seen any good uh, movies, Stephen? I was going to ask Michael if he'd seen uh, Quantum of Solace, the uh, new James Bond movie. I saw Quantum, Quantum Solace uh, opening night, uh, date night with the wife, and um, I felt You have a cool wife, by the way. Uh, I mean, she, to go with you to see Quantum of Solace on date night, is that's pretty cool. 
Well, speaking of uh, speaking of anniversaries, let me just say that uh, having seen recently seen a picture of your beloved, uh, I would acknowledge that the three of us married way over our heads, and uh, that's a good thing. But my wife digs James Bond, so you know what can I that say? That is cool. That is cool. And I would agree. I, I've 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 met I've not met or seen a picture of your wife, uh, Michael, but uh, Soraya is beautiful, and so is my wife, and so yeah, we've done we've done well. We speculate. So I don't know what that's about. So is Brita. I mean, we're, yeah, we're we're all in uh, way over. And if she would ever let me take a photo of her, I would be happy to share it. But that's just not <laughs> that's so typical. Isn't so it? let me say this about Quantum of Solace. I personally thought Casino Royale was the uh, the best Bond movie ever made. Right. Um, so you can argue the merits of Connery or Brosnan or those other two guys. I can't remember their names or uh, Daniel Craig. Uh, the truth is, I thought Daniel Craig was a rock. He's he's very Bond-like. Um, sequel. First time it's ever been done in the Bond. Uh, uh, yeah, this was a true thing. sequel, wasn't it? Yeah, this was not they, just. It uh, picks up like literally five minutes after the uh, Casino Royale ends, <laughs> and right. so it's a tr- very, very uh, correct sequel. And as a character, Bond is sort of reeling from everything that happened in Casino Royale. From a speculist point of view, I would say that uh, you know, true to the Bond form, um, there are. There are technological gadgets and gadgetry that I just was like, I I want that. Forget the yeah. Bond babes and the car. I want the toys and uh, <laughs> very very cool toys in this one. Yeah, um, yeah. it was funny. My brother, to, uh, he he went with a with a buddy uh, at a different time than I went, and uh, after the movie, the buddy like turns to him and says, "You know, do you think it would have helped had I watched Casino Royale?" Because <laughs> he was completely lost, you know. I mean, who's that guy in the trunk? You know, uh, so, it's uh, it's uh, it, it really is a uh, it's 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 uh, a necessary thing to have seen the first movie, Casino Royale, before seeing this one. But yeah, I, I, they they work together uh, as a uh, as a one two punch. I'm not saying it's uh, Godfather two in, in the land of sequels, but yeah, you can't. I, the two doesn't make any sense to me without one. Yeah. Let me say this: in one, in uh, Casino Royale, uh, that the foot chase scene in the beginning, where he's chasing the bomb maker and they're bouncing off of things and climbing unbuilt buildings and leaping off of cranes, it was a very uh, aerobic and physical foot chase scene. I thought that was maybe the best on foot chase scene I could think of. I, I don't think that one, it has its equal. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I'm like, yeah, okay, it's a good car chase. There's not, I, I didn't get that sense of of that kind of pursuit, other than in the broader sense of he's chasing these guys all over the freaking world, yeah. and you know, ultimately they end up in some some unknown. Well, we know it's the Atacama, but they end up in some uh, unknown desert in South America, and uh, he's chasing bad guys. I I, I personally there's loved a, it a, from there's a pretty good, uh, there's, a, there's a pretty good rooftop chase in. Uh... Quantum of Solace. I mean, yeah. it, it, it yeah. doesn't compare. But it, I'm but it, not it, dogging it. Yeah. The airplane chase actually was what did it for me in this one. I mean, well, I like airplanes anyway, but the airplane chase was pretty pretty, pretty bond over the top. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would give uh, uh, Casino Royale as an A+, best Bond movie ever. And uh, this this movie is a worthy sequel, but, you know, I give it a B, maybe a B minus. It, it was um, it was a good movie and fun, fun to watch. Definitely, you know, if you're if you're a James Bond fan at all, go see it. But 
uh, you know, don't don't expect you know, lightning can't strike twice uh, at the you know like that quickly. So um, it's it's just a B. I, I thought. I, th- I, I, I would, would go uh, I would go B plus A minus, and I would say that it's stronger in some ways than in others. And for example, visually. Um, just the visual impact of the film, despite the fact that there's times where it gets too dark and it gets too gray and they're shaking the camera around, you can't tell what's going on, um, and there's a little bit too much of that for my preference. But visually, um, nothing in any Bond film compares to that uh, that opera scene they shot in Austria. That just blew me away. Yeah, that it just knocked awesome. me out of my chair. That, that, I was like, that that's awesome. it. Just killed me. I mean, well, I, I'm sorry, awesome. I didn't hear you, Phil. What'd you say? I just said, yeah, that was absolutely awesome. And the uh, just just the desert scenery there in uh, in Bolivia, just amazing. Just so, so, I would agree, really awesome visuals there. How would you grade it? Uh, I'm with you. I'm going to give it about a I'm going to give it about a B. Um, I, I think it suffers uh, by comparison to its predecessor, which maybe isn't fair. If you could somehow see it on its own, that would be that would be the best way to decide uh, uh, how well you liked it. But I just you know on. On every single scale where uh, Casino Royale was just A plus, blowing your mind, uh, you know, off the scale, this movie was like pretty good, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. It, so it's like you go, well, it was pretty good, but I, I guess expectations uh, uh, are, are are kind of the killer on this on this one. Uh, you you expect more than uh, than maybe it was fair to expect. Uh, them to be able to deliver, and and so you you kind of go, well, I don't know, B B minus, but uh, but on its own, it's a pretty darn good movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, um, that's that's awesome. Uh, I tell you what, uh, Michael, we're going to send you off into the uh, into the chat room now and uh, work the room because because we're going to be uh, we're going to be hitting uh, all you listeners for uh, topics. We're going to be assessing the possibility. Of scenarios, so everybody be thinking about anything. Uh, I, I'm, I'm especially interested in anything that anyone uh, has in mind that they think is impossible, because we're going to come back to to what is possible and what is impossible, and we'll apply some criteria and see if we can uh, see if we can change our or refine our definitions of of those things a little bit. But before we do that, uh, this would be a great opportunity for us to uh, take a journey into the world of the known in a little feature that uh, we haven't had in a while, but that we like to call. Astounding Science Facts. I love that. It's it's great to have that back, man. It's just awesome having that back. Okay, so, Stephen, I'm going to hand the reins over to you. You are Mr. Astounding Science Facts for this evening. Okay. All right. Uh, we got two great uh, and in- interesting uh, stories. I thought would, would be make perfect astounding science fact stories. Uh, the first is uh, uh, news that came this week that uh, the mammoth genome has been sequenced, at least mostly. And you know the things. And the, you know I, I thought that the uh, the article was uh, very interesting on that and 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 worth uh, reading. Let me get a, uh, a link up in the. In the chat here in just a second, but um, anyway, I thought I'd just read real quick from uh, a, a portion of it. Um, Several technical barriers have fallen in surprising ways. One barrier was that ancient DNA is always shredded into tiny pieces, seemingly impossible to analyze. 
but a new generation of DNA decoding machines use tiny pieces as their starting point. Uh, Dr. Schuster's laboratory has two uh, uh, known as 454 machines, each of which cost $500,000. So he's got a million dollars worth of machinery. That's what he sequenced the uh, mammoth DNA with. And uh, now that he's got this, the next question is obviously, you know, when do we get, you know, um, the uh, a, a cloned mammoth? Well, it apparently it looks like it, you know, it's something we could actually do. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, how does the um, and for, forgive me if this is an ignorant uh, question, but how does sequencing the mammoth DNA help us to um, to clone? The mammoth. I mean, we were able to clone mice back before, I assume, before we had ever sequenced the mouse genome, right? It, right. It, does this have to do with the fact that... Uh, well, you see, we, we, have a, we have living mice. You know, we have mice here. And so to right. clone a mouse, you, just, you know, you would take, uh, you'd take the DNA out of uh, a single cell of, the, of a living mouse, and then you insert it into an emptied-out egg, um, and in uh, you know a, a mouse egg, you uh, you would you take a mouse egg, remove the DNA that's currently in the mouse egg, put in the the DNA that you want, implant it in uh, some mouse uterus somewhere, and take it to term. That is a cloned mouse. Well, here we don't have the animal that we want to clone. The, you know, right. mammoths have been long gone, at least ten thousand years. And so, what do you do with something like that? Well, you uh, you would you'd take an elephant egg. You'd uh, remove the DNA from it, insert mammoth DNA in it, implant it in a in an elephant surrogate mom, and bring it to term, and voila, you have a uh, a, a mammoth baby. Well, eighteen and, months later, or whatever it is, you got yeah, something like mammoth. that. It's like, it's like eighteen months. Yeah. It's a long pregnancy, but you know, it's not. I, I I made it sound easy, and it's not. It's it's like hugely hard, hugely tedious, and. Uh, but you know the the guys that are that you know have sequenced the mammoth DNA says yeah we can do it and uh, yeah it'll be hard to do and it'll be tedious and everything, but and and it'll be expensive it'll cost us ten million, and we and and we'll be able to do it so they they put a price tag on it even so that's cool. Ten million gives us a mammoth. I I think that's that's got to be worth it. it. Yeah. I wonder. Th- think if, think if you're Russia or some some place that had mammoths that you know and you wanted to have something as a tourist attraction. You know, put uh, put mammoths back in Siberia. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Well, now one thing you could do is you could keep cloning the same one and have like a herd of all the same mammoths. But is yeah. there enough mammoth genetic material out there, uh, samples that can be taken from various uh, mammoth finds, that 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 uh, that a number of distinct individuals could could be introduced? Is it enough that? That the species could be brought back in some viable way, or, or have, have they thought that far into it? Yes, they have, and, and there's there's plenty of mammoth DNA around. It, it, oh, okay. They've they've got herds of mammoth DNA. The the problem, of course, is the expense of sequencing each mammoth. You know, I mean, it's right. pretty expensive still, but the price is going down all the time, and um, and so you know, it, it it'll it'll happen, I believe. I think we'll see mammoths in ten years. I really do. It, and it, you uh, know what we got is we got Moore's law of uh, extinct species reintroduction at work here. and uh, <laughs> I like that, so yeah. It, 
it gets cheaper and cheaper to uh, to reintroduce species. Let me just say real fast that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're doing some astounding science facts right now, and we're going to be talking in a few moments about recalibrating the possible. And if you're interested in joining that discussion, we've got live chat if you're listening to us live. And you can also give us a call at 347-215-8972. So what else is on the docket for Astounding Science Facts? Well, I just wanted to point out that this is a, uh, the mammoth story is a huge recalibration of the, of the possible, isn't it? You know, just a, few year, just a few years ago, um, you know, they, they were saying, yeah, this is that's science fiction. It's silly. It'll never happen. Now, now the guys who know are saying, yeah, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. We just, you know, it'll be tedious and expensive and hard, but we're going to do it and, you know, and it's 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 uh, you know so that's that's uh, that, to me that's that's just very very cool, good example Absolutely. of a recalibration. Cool. What we've seen there is we've seen something move from the impossible to the reasonable to expect in our lifetimes, and we're going to get into those categories and, and what they mean in uh, in just a few minutes. Okay. The other thing is the uh, news that was announced this week that uh, that there are glaciers. On Mars, and this is not just polar ice caps. This is glaciers at the Ecuador, equatorial range, and one of them that they were able—I mean—they and they discovered these things from orbit above Mars uh, with a particular uh, orbiter. I, I, um, you might even know the name of the orbiter, Phil, but it escapes me at the moment. But I mean, they were able to, you know, look within the planet and under the surface. Uh, they they found glaciers and one one was as big as the Los Angeles uh, metropolitan area. Uh, wow! So you can imagine it's not just a little bit of water we're talking about; it's a whole lot of water. And and it's confirmed it's it's H two O not CO two. H two O pure H two O. Water not not dry ice. Okay. That's right. And so what does that mean? Well, uh, you go you go to Mars, uh, you set up you set up camp. Uh, hopefully you're going to have uh, something like. Uh, a deep burn fission <laughs> a nuclear power plant or something like that. Right. So I have all the power you need. And you drill down, you get you, uh, get into the water, and uh, then then what do you have? Well, you have water you could grow plants with. You could uh, uh, you you split the water and you have oxygen to breathe, and uh, and then you have hydrogen for more fuel. And so you know you you, you could you could basically go uh, in, with a large enough if you if you go with a big enough ship and you have, take enough people with you, you need enough man, manpower, and uh, you could set up permanent camp, you know, immediately. And uh, to me, that's that's the reason to go to Mars. You don't go to Mars, uh, take that kind of huge trip, and do like we did with the Moon, just go and you know plant a flag and come back. That's that's not the point. You need to actually go and and set up sort of a semi-permanent base if you're going to yeah, bother was, to do uh, it at all. Quoted- linked a story about Buzz Aldrin a couple weeks ago, and that, that was his point, is if, if we're going to Mars, we need to be going to stay. We need to be sending someone, uh, not someone, but a group of people there uh, to set up permanent residence on Mars and actually uh, start moving out into the solar system, settling the solar system. And definitely the presence of water in large amounts, uh, even if it's ice, makes that just that much simpler, uh, makes it that much more possible. In fact, um, in his book, um, oh, I can't think of the title of it, but uh, the, the the book in which he outlines the Mars Direct plan, um, the case for Mars. Robert Zubrin talks about getting, uh, you know, making that first mission to Mars kind of a one-way trip, in which uh, the, the the main thing that happens is the people who land on Mars make use of the resources there, 
to establish a presence, and if they're even going to go back at all, that they build their ship and build their fuel and, and, and or synthesize their fuel out of materials that are that are available. And obviously, having water on hand is going to make that sort of thing a lot more possible. Awesome. Yeah. Well, to me, that just uh, you know that that creates in another another way that recalibrates what's possible. Uh, if if uh, the planet had been completely dry, you know, uh, had Mars been completely dry, then you know it would it would create real barriers to going there, and certainly to going there and staying uh, for any length of time. It would create it would create definite obstacles, and I'll tell you what we will get into whether that would impact. Uh, whether or not it was possible, because that's a that's an excellent example of how we define the term. So, do we have any other uh, astounding science facts? Or that we... is it. That's it for astounding science facts tonight. Well, I am totally astounded, and uh, we will look <laughs> forward to uh, to being thrilled and amazed uh, once again on the next installment. Of... Astounding science facts. Uh, Michael, I was way ahead of you. Uh, he, Michael was asking for us to play the audio again. You, you know, every time we do tales of the paranormal or astounding science facts, I always want to milk those audios because I just uh, get the <laughs> kick out of my my own voice, I suppose. Okay, so I'm going to take us now into our topic of the evening, and our topic is recalibrating the possible. And I, I want to talk a little bit about how I came to um, put this this particular topic together. Uh, this comes as a result of some of the discussions that I had last week at Convergence 08. Uh, obviously, I'm still kind of reeling from that. Um, all, Stephen, offline before the program, you and I were just talking about how awesome it was to be able to talk to all the guests that we had on last week and uh, how much we look forward to having them on again and, and being able to talk with, with each of them again. Um, one of the conversations that I blogged about um, was the was was the session that I led, in which I was talking about, you know, how do we push this message out to a broader audience? How do we get people who aren't part of the regular, futurist, accelerating change geek community uh, to pay attention to this, to know about this, to 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 be engaged in the kinds of changes that were that, that we were discussing at Convergence 08, and of course, the, as as a total as, as a total side discussion, we got into this business about, well, should we even be talking to people who are kind of outside the fold about these things? And I don't want to get into that tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it uh, as a given and an assumption, since that's what we do on this program, that it is a good idea to try to outreach to a, to a broader audience about these topics. So is, is that, is that going to be cool with you, Stephen? I think it probably would be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, to me, uh, you know, any group that's insular and doesn't reach out, I mean, you know, pretty much, Pretty soon, it, it just sort of withers and dies. But uh, you know, if, if if you're interacting with other people and and and, and uh, you know, putting your ideas out there and and letting the uh, public chew on them, you know, shoot them down when they're bad or, or or adopt them when they're good. That's hey, then you can actually have an effect. So that, that makes that's what makes it worthwhile to me. Absolutely, that that's that's where I'm coming from too. I think that. Uh, uh, we you know we we only make the community of people who are concerned about these issues richer and deeper by involving those who haven't heard about it yet. And I also, I, I really think there is an, an issue of responsibility. I think that uh, if, if 
we as a community of accelerating acceleration aware futurists are, are actually on, on this project of you know completely transforming the world well we owe it to the world to you know give them a little heads up about these transformations that uh, you know that we think are going to benefit them and that will benefit them but that uh, that you know it's their world too they have a right to know about it so that's the that's the issue you know if we're going to talk about uh accelerating change if we're going to talk about developments that might completely transform the world, um, uh, we almost have to step back to, to, to get this into the perceptual worldview of people. I, I think we have to step back and we have to take a look at the language that we use. And um, people have working definitions of, of words when, when they use them. And, and sometimes the working definition overtakes the original meaning of the word. And I want to give an example of that. Uh, before we get to what's possible and what's not possible, I'm going to give a completely different example, and that word is literally. Okay? <laughs> what does the word literally mean? It means, well, <laughs> uh, it means it's absolutely positively true uh, that, you know, if, if something is literally true, if I'm, if, if, if I literally laugh myself to death, you need, you're going to need to uh, plan for my funeral because I'm dead. There there will be a coroner involved. That's right. The yeah. word literally means like, like there's no exaggeration or poetic license applied. When, okay. when you see or hear, when you read or hear the word literally, that's a signpost. That means the words following it or the words that it describes um, are not being used in a figurative sense. Okay. So uh, a good example would be if you said, you know, I finished that project and I was so exhausted, I literally did not get out of bed the next day. Fine use as long as the truth the truth is that you didn't get out of bed the next day. Okay, right. literally, I did not get out of bed the next day. Um, we were so bored, we were literally climbing the walls. Right? You hear people say <laughs> stuff like that, uh, and, and the response is, "Did you have equipment? Right? Did you have the repelling equipment to enable yeah. you to climb?" Walls, right? Um, or uh, what? Like I was so frightened, I I literally jumped out of my skin. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, a skilled surgeon was able to help you because uh, I don't see the seam marks here. You know, uh, but yeah, but that, that's that's the point. And it's not a huge deal. Um, and you know, I mean, there, there may have been a few occasions in the world when people did get so bored that they literally climbed the walls. But chances are, when you hear an expression like "climb the walls," jumped out of my skin. Um, uh, actually, you gave a great example earlier. Uh, laugh my ass off. Um, chances are people are talking figuratively, not literally. Uh, they're, right. they're, uh, they're, they're using the word um, in a figurative way. They're, they're actually not using the word literally, literally. Okay? And this is no huge deal. It's not, it's not like I'm, you know, I, I was an English major, but it's not like I'm all worried about uh, you know, whether people are using words right. But, but the point is that over time, um, that particular misuse of that particular term tends to weaken its impact, and, it, and it's not as effective of a signpost anymore. So when you read it or when you hear it, uh, what's going to come next? You're not sure if you're going to hear something that is literally true or if someone is misusing the word and they're about to give you something that's figuratively true. So the, so the whole signpost for words that are not being, uh, ha having any poetic license applied to them, it's no longer effective for that, right? right. Now, another word that gets similarly misused is possible. Okay, and I, I'm going to 
introduce a definition, and I'm not going to say that this is the only definition of the word possible that could be used, but I'm going to make this the official specula slash fast-forward radio definition unless you guys, you know, persuade me to use a different one. All right, and this is, this is it. Possible means not precluded by the physical laws of the universe as we understand them. Okay, okay. You, I, I can go with that. that. I buy it. Okay. That. All right, Michael? I don't see anything. I got nothing there. So, okay, all right, he's <laughs> with us. All right. All right. Now, the, and, and, and here's the flip side, okay? So anything that is precluded by the physical laws of the universe as we understand them is impossible. Yeah. Okay? So that's possible, that's impossible. All right, so this word also possible or impossible, let's go with impossible, gets misused a lot, right? And someone will say something like, hey, I'd love to go to your party, but it's just impossible. Right, <laughs> you're, you're, th you're thinking, well, you know, <laughs> if if you were on a spaceship uh, and you were literally, <laughs> and I mean literally, <laughs> uh -huh, literally, yes, you were literally on a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. right. You know, uh, uh, past the point of uh, being able to turn around and travel, you know, within the speed of light, kind of deal, <laughs> and get and arrive in time, then it would be impossible. Otherwise, it's possible for you to go come to the party. So it's 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 pretty it's. I'm, it's likely that most of the time you hear that it's 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 being used figuratively. Or you know, a guy might say, uh, "Sweetheart, I could never love another woman more than I love you." That's impossible. Right? And 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 it's okay. I mean, people are using the word figuratively, and that's fine. I'm I'm all for people using language figuratively. But as with the word literal, okay, what happens here is that all this figurative use of the word impossible starts to weaken what we mean by it. Right. Okay, so so you, you know people are going to say literally when what they really mean is practically. Um, we were practically climbing walls. We were, we were all. I almost jumped out of my skin. I just about laughed my ass off. Right? They they, they say literally, but they, they actually mean something else. And people say impossible, and what they really mean is not practical, not probable, not likely, um, not feasible. Yeah, not likely. Exactly, or even not desirable. Right? Which would be the example with the guy talking to his girlfriend. You know, right. That that would be that would be a bad thing. I mean, that's you know, he he's really not making the case that the laws of the universe preclude his loving another woman. It's just that uh, that would be such a horrible thing. So, so you have all this talk about whether things are practical or likely, and this is like I think clouded our ability to think clearly about what really is possible and what really is impossible. And the word possible then comes to mean something that we can reasonably expect to happen. That's, that's how people often use the term. And, you know, reasonable, expect, reasonable expectations is an important subject for us, and it is for me. I've written whole posts about um, reasonable – in fact, we have a, I think we have a category of blog posts at the Speculus called reasonable expectations. Um, but we can't talk about what it's reasonable to expect until we start to get a much clearer idea of what really is possible. So – Here's what we need to do. We need to look at any given scenario, and we have to ask three questions. One, is it possible? And once we've concluded that, yes, something is possible, then we have to ask, is it reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve this particular result? And then we'll ask, three, is it reasonable to expect that humanity will achieve this result within our lifetimes? Because it's those second two negatives that people misapply as impossible, I think, more than anything else. 
Okay. And this is this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're just about to assess whether certain things are possible or impossible. And if you've got some ideas for impossible stuff, especially I'm looking for, give us a call at 347-215-8972 or join us on our live online chat. Now, actually, I want to start with an example. Okay. I've got an example from history. In 1895, Lord Kelvin said that heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. So eight years before... <laughs> the Wright brothers, Lord Kelvin, who was a smart guy. We had yeah, Kelvin uh, who gave us uh, what was the Kel- uh, the Kelvin uh, uh, the system of, uh, of measuring temperature. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh, among yeah. other things, I mean, he, yeah. he contributed in a lot of ways. So he was not uh, not by any means uh, a dummy, but he said eight years before uh, heavier than air flying machines, eight years before the Wright brothers, that heavier than air flying machines are impossible. So. Let's see how heavier-than-air flying machines, just as this example, should have stacked up okay, against our three questions. Lord, uh, uh, so, so you be Lord Kelvin, and let's, let's talk through this, okay? okay. Heavier-than-air flying machine, is it possible? Now, let's go back to our definition. Is it precluded by the physical laws of the universe as we understand them? Um, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm Lord Kelvin in 18, whatever, when he said this. Is that correct? 1895, yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, it's not precluded by the laws of the universe. I'm talking about a different kind of uh, impossible. Apparently, you were Lord Kelvin because you know that birds fly and they're heavier than air. Insects right. fly; they're heavier than air. Uh, therefore, heavier than air flight is not precluded by the laws of the universe. If you thought before you used that term "impossible," Lord Kelvin, I think you would not have said that. Now, I was referring, question, of course, to the state of the art. Aha! Is it reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve this result? That. That's no, because uh, you know internal combustion engines do not produce enough power to lift their own weight uh, currently, which was true then when he said that. It was true then. So, uh, so we can't go to the next question um, whether it would be reasonable to expect humanity to achieve that result in our lifetime, because he would have already have said uh, he didn't really mean impossible. What he really meant was. I mean, and we're speaking for him. Sorry, but he got it wrong, so that gives us the right to do that, I think. Right. Um, you know, is it reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve this result? And he's looking around the world, uh, the world around him saying, no, the engines we have just can't produce that kind of power relative to the weight, relative to the materials we're using. Therefore, it's not reasonable. Right. It's not going to happen. Now, I would have said to Lord Kelvin, well, let's think about this for a moment. Let's think about the things that you've seen occur in your lifetime, Lord Kelvin. Um, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about locomotives and the incredible increases in, in power, uh, leverage of human power that has been made available by machinery in the last century. We're, and we're in 1895 now looking back to 1795, right, or in right. the last 150 years, Lord Kelvin. Think about that and apply that forward. Just stay on a strictly linear curve. You don't even have to think that change is accelerating, but even if change continues to occur at the same rate, you know, isn't it reasonable to think that at some point we'll have sufficiently light materials or sufficiently strong engines that we will be able to achieve this? And I think if uh, he had thought that through, Lord Kelvin would have said, oh, you know, hmm, maybe, maybe. Maybe, it, maybe it would be reasonable right. to, uh, to expect that would happen. And in fact, the reasonable expectation which he did not grasp, did not get to, but it was perfectly reasonable to expect 
based on the fact that it's possible, based on what had come before in that previous century of industrialization, it was perfectly reasonable to expect that, in fact, heavier-than-air flying machines would exist within his lifetime, and certainly within the lifetimes of most of the people uh, in the world in, in 1895. So he missed the mark, but I think that's very instructive to us looking ahead to things that we might tend to want to call impossible. Right. So, For, for uh, example. Okay. Let's look at the um, basic example. Well, I, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go back to the mammoth thing. Um, uh, you know, it, it was just I mean just recently impossible, and now it looks like it's it, it's probable, and uh, that that we'll see a cloned mammoth. So, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a great uh, that's a great one. Now, you know, a related topic, of course, is bringing back the Neanderthal, which technically would probably be no more difficult. But you can imagine why that would not be, quote, possible. Uh, I mean, from an ethical point of view, I guess, or not desirable. At, at that point, you're into the guy talking to his girlfriend, aren't you? I mean, yeah. if, uh, let's, let's, let's run that one through, okay? I, okay. You know, uh, the mammoth, I think it's possible, it's reasonable to expect humanity will achieve that result, and I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect that we'll see it in our lifetime, right? Right, right. Check, 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 right, right through the list. Cloning a Neanderthal. Possible? Yep. Possible to expect humanity will ever achieve this result? I think probably eventually, yeah. Um, reasonable to expect that humanity will achieve this result in our lifetimes? Well, here's the crux, okay? There are huge ethical issues around this, as you said. And what's the benefit of doing it? You know, I, it, and is the ben, does the benefit of doing it outweigh the, uh, the, the, the huge ethical downside? So I, I think when you bring all those into, into account, you can look at that one and go, I don't know if it's reasonable to expect that humanity is going to do that in our lifetimes. I think there could be those who simply weigh the ethical considerations of doing that as insignificant and say, no, we've got to do it. Yeah. Um, knowledge you know, if, requires that we do that. Go ahead. And, and, and I, my thought on that is that we would do it if there was a medical justification. What if uh, there was some disease that was wiping us out, and it looked like there was something about Neanderthals that could help us fight off a disease or something? Then, yeah, maybe we might we might clone a Neanderthal for that purpose. Uh, but I mean, just to have a a uh, another type of human being basically as a zoo exhibit, you know, that we wouldn't we would want to do it for that reason. And so, um, it would be a terribly cool thing to do. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, the, on the one hand, I, I mean, I don't know how you how you look at that. You would say, well, he got to live, which he wouldn't have got to do otherwise, or she, whatever uh, the the sex of the uh, of, of the clone Neanderthal would be. But yeah, you're you're bringing this creature out of its uh, epoch into ours, uh, into a world in which it would be completely alone, unless you cloned a, a bunch of other ones. But that's probably not what would happen initially. Like with the mammoth, you would probably do one first. And here you would have what is a human being, or uh, I certainly would classify this as a human being, and, and I, I don't see how you can make the case that it, that it's, uh, that it, that, that, uh, it would not be a human being. So you've got a human being whose entire life would be spent either in a zoo, which is horrible, or you know, in a lab, which is horrible. Uh, you, would be, you would be essentially doing scientific research. You, you would be using a human being as a lifetime experiment, a lifetime lab subject. And that just seems 
you know, in, unethical from from the word go. Right. The, the so world that that person would be a, adapted to uh, would is long gone, and so yeah. Yeah, and the, 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 yeah, that person would not would not. I, I don't think it would be like the Phil Hartman bit, uh, unfrozen caveman lawyer. I mean, I don't know. Actually, the, the interesting thing is uh, Neanderthals might be a lot smarter than us. They had bigger brains. Yeah. Um, we like to think that we survived and they didn't because we were smarter than they are, although uh, that may not be the case. It could be that uh, our nostrils take in air better, which is one of the reasons that we might have uh, out-survived them. The other, the other possibility is that uh, they were a lot nicer than we are, and that's, that's why we won out over the Neanderthals. So. Um, it, it, it might turn out that a Neanderthal would just be this really urbane, you know, like in the Geico commercials. The mango salsa. Yeah, the, yeah he'd the, have the roast duck with the mango sauce and the whole thing. You know, he'd be sitting <laughs> around the house listening to uh, yeah, whatever, uh, I don't know, classical composer and, uh, you know, looking at his fine art prints and, and all that kind of stuff. But but chances are not, and and chances are it would be a pretty harsh existence, so. Uh, let's let's look at a different example. I, I want to give. Okay. Uh, I'm going to throw two out there. One one that I think is possible, and one that I think is impossible. So I think it'll be pretty obvious which is which. Right. Uh, here's my first one. Uh, is it possible that we will one day have a space elevator, a structure that has a stationary end on Earth, another end in orbit uh, around the Earth, uh, s- such that we would have an easy way to move people and materials into space and from space back to the Earth? Is it possible? Okay. Let's let's hear your other one. Okay, my other one is: Is it possible that we will one day make soup out of the giant turtle on which the four elephants holding up the planet Earth rest, or any of the other turtles below that one? Okay. Now, <laughs> okay. Which okay, is possible so and which is impossible? Right. One of those, in my view, is possible, and one of those is impossible. And I think you know, it's it's a silly example. Um, but it's well, you know, you almost have to get silly in order to find something that is literally impossible. That um, is exactly my point. I, I, I racked my brain trying to think of something impossible, and that's the one I came up with. I, we can't make turtle soup out of the turtles holding up the world because actually uh, the world is uh, in orbit around the sun. It's a sphere, it's a planet, and there are no turtles down there. Therefore, that is precluded by the laws of the universe as we understand them. Therefore, that's impossible. And I, I believe that uh, the realm of the impossible is much farther out than, than people realize. I believe another way of putting that is that the realm of the possible extends much, much further than people realize. That what is possible, what is achievable by humanity is a vast set of possibilities, a vast set of scenarios of things that, that could happen. And you really have to rack your brain to come up with things that are precluded as being possible. Now, once you've established that something's possible, you then have to ask the next two questions. So, space elevator, uh, turtle soup, not going to happen. Okay, space elevator, reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve it? Yes. Yes, the, the benefits are there, right? The benefits are so strong that we can say, if that's possible, that's a thing that we can expect we will do someday. Reasonable to expect that humanity will achieve this result within our lifetimes. Well, if we if the carbon uh, nanotube uh, works out the way we think it will, and we can make you know the uh, a, a a structure that is strong enough out of out of carbon nanotubes like we think we can, and and do it in and in, uh, with you know in enough 
you know, it, being able to do it in huge quantities that you'd need to do it in, um, yeah, sure. It depends. It depends on how hard we try and yeah. uh, how long our lifespans are, right? I mean, huge, those, those huge are, technical uh, hurdle there, but uh, it, it seems like it would be possible. Yeah, depending 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 on how uh, much effort uh, we decide as a society to put into that effort to, to put into that project, and how long we all live, because uh, that's the other issue about lifespan, right? If, if I live if I live to be 600, then that's definitely going to happen within, within uh, my lifetime. And in fact, we'll get to we'll get to lifespan in just a moment. Um, how about this? Okay, David Ray, what about faster than light travel? I was going to bring up two Star Trek technologies that I think might be impossible based on what we know of the physical laws of the universe. Okay. Okay. Uh, faster than light travel is one of them, and the other one is the transporter. Um, Okay. And uh, and why why would the transporter uh, be impossible? Uh, the, based on the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, knowing the anyway, it's it's complicated. But we we believe that the transporter would be impossible based on what we know today. And uh, you know, faster than light travel seems impossible based on what we know of the physical laws of the universe today. Now, the thing is, uh, you know, we don't know everything about the physical laws of the universe, so. There might be workarounds that we can yeah, oh figure yeah. out. Oh, yeah, but we're going to assess possibility based on we, how we understand them now. Okay. Okay. Well, based um, on what we know now, those two, those two, uh, those two uh, technologies, based on what we know today, are impossible. Um, faster than light travel is impossible. You can't go faster than light. You require infinite energy to push uh, an object which would have achieved infinite mass at even light speed, uh, much less going faster than light. So under general relativity – it is impossible to move faster than light. There, there are theoretical uh, workarounds that you might go through a wormhole, uh, but there's no scientific demonstration of that, and the knowledge is purely theoretical at this point. So we're going to say faster than light travel right now, impossible. Uh, the transporter, again, th th there is talk of uh, teleporting uh, quantum states. There's talk about teleporting information, eventually of teleporting uh, material. So there's, there's theoretical workarounds to the fact that right now our answer to the transporter is it's impossible. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have to be happy about that. So actually that's a much better example than my turtle soup. Thank you for that, David. That's a, that's a, that's a very good example. Um, okay, let me throw another one out there. Uh, okay. How about this? How about uh, move the entire population of the planet Earth to Mars? having first modified Mars to make it suitable for human habitation? I don't think that it would be a, uh, precluded by the laws of the universe, but practically impossible. And, and, now, and therefore, possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. Just now, not practical or even desirable. You know? right. Is it reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve this result? Uh, here's no. here's my here's my answer to that. I think uh, no, unless it's like no comma unless um, the, the Earth's about to be wiped out, or the Earth is wiped out, or something terrible happens to the Earth, and then we have to go elsewhere. Then we might say, well, okay, let's go terraform Mars, and we'll move to Mars, or let's move out into the solar system, generally speaking. But um, uh, I, I think unless Earth becomes an unviable option through some terrible lifeboat foundation type happenstance, uh, it's not reasonable to expect that we would pursue this because 
why would we do it? You know, what what would the benefit be in moving us all to a smaller planet that you know we'd have to go to all this trouble to make it to, to make it habitable, and uh, we already live on a perfectly habitable planet. So possible, exactly. but not reasonable. Not reasonable to expect that that's going to happen. Certainly not in our lifetimes. Again, unless uh, barring horrendously horrible unforeseen circumstances. Right. All right. Uh, other examples, Stephen. I'm sorry. Did you have another one? Uh, let me think. Um, hmm. Um, <laughs> how about uh, a, a paperless world where we uh, where we no longer, you know, have, there the, no office uh, really uh, and, uh, has paper files anymore. It, we all do the. Uh, we all have James Bond surface computing. Oh, by the way, I, I, I wanted to get to that. That was very cool. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that is we're so much closer to that technology being every day than we were even four or five years ago when we'd see stuff like that in movies, and it would be set in kind of the far future. Right. And now we see it it's set in the present day, and you go, oh, yeah, I, I can buy that. I think that uh, either that exists or I, I'll have something like that within the next few years. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Um, right. Okay, so paperless world. Uh is it possible? I'm going to say yes, that's absolutely possible. It is, it is not precluded by the physical laws of the universe as we understand it for us to eliminate paper altogether. Now, is it reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve this result? I'm going to again say yes. It is reasonable to expect that sooner or later uh, we will get over paper the way uh, eventually we got over carving stuff into stone. Um, right. Now, Interestingly, thing, we still occasionally carve things into stone. I was about so, to say that. I mean, I don't think... I, I think that uh, books will end up being historical curiosities. People will keep them as heirlooms. Um, I'm I bring up Star Trek again. You remember uh, Kirk got a uh, book for his birthday. Uh, what, is, what was that? Star Trek Two or something like that. Um, anyway, I mean, and what was the book? Anyone? Anyone? Trek fans? What was the book? Uh, oh, come on, come on. Uh, Best of Times. A it tale was Tale of Two Cities. Tale of Two Cities. Yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, well, at any rate, I mean, it was obviously, uh, it was an unusual thing. Uh, that was not something, you know, that most people have in their homes at, at that point. And so it was, uh, it was an antique. He, 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 was, uh, he had a book as an antique uh, the way, I don't know, we might have, I don't know, a, a, re, you know, a reproduction of a Victorian clock or something. Right. And, and so what you might want to do, Stephen, is rephrase your question. Is it possible that we will eliminate, that we will achieve a, a world in which uh, paper communications has no practical everyday utilitarian function? And my answer to that would be yes, and not only do I think it's possible, but I believe it's probable and it will happen, I think, this century. Reasonable to expect that it will happen, I think reasonable to expect uh, it's within the, the realm of, depending on how long our lifespans are, reasonable to expect that will happen within our lifetimes, that, that uh, printed artifacts become uh, what they, uh, what things in the future, what text carved in stone is today. It's something that can still happen, and we still use it, but we don't need it. The world doesn't rely on that, and, and there's no circumstances under which I'm thinking, boy, I need to get that text carved in stone in order for me to do my job, right? Likewise, that uh, we, we will be that far beyond things being uh, printed on paper. Yep, I think it's reasonable, uh, certainly reasonable to expect humanity will achieve that. Reasonable to expect it will happen in our lifetimes. I'd, you know what? I'd give that one a coin toss. I think it, it could very well happen. Yeah. 
All right, that's a good one. Okay, I'm going to throw out another one. How about increasing the average human lifespan to 800 years? Okay, um, I don't think that there's any reason that uh, the the laws of the universe would preclude that. Uh, and think about it this way: um, for those who this idea might seem brand new to you, um, does a person age? In other words, do they begin to break down physically? Uh, they show signs of aging between age zero when they're born and age twenty. They do not. They do not. I mean, a, a person really, before they begin to show the first signs of age, probably get close to 30. And uh, so if you can experience close to 30 years on this planet without, without aging, um, then, why, then you know, why couldn't you rejuvenate yourself if we knew enough about the body um, to stay right. indefinitely young? Just, uh, just why periodically go to the doctor and get rejuvenated. Yeah, why couldn't we multiply that 30 by 2 and get 60 or mm -hmm. by 20 and get 600? Or by 200 and get, you know, I mean, it, it, it can, it, once it's established that, and, and we talked about the, what was it, the cornea from, from someone's eye that uh, is well over 100 years old now and is still functioning just fine, uh, and it's gone through uh, two or three transplants. Uh, it, it's well established that living organisms can live for hundreds of years, and now it's well established that human tissue can be viable for well over 100 years. So the, the issue as to whether an entire human organism could live much longer, be vital, uh, than, than the current lifespan, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely, definitely within the realm of the possible. Reasonable to expect it will happen, absolutely will happen someday. Reasonable to expect it will happen within our lifetimes? This is where the uh, question of actuarial escape velocity uh, starts to set in. Hmm. Will we live long enough to see the day when our lives get extended? That's, that's ultimately the question we're asking. And I say it's perfectly reasonable to expect that, uh, that this will happen in our lifetimes. Certainly uh, any of our younger listeners can, can expect that to happen in, in their lifetimes. In but 2000 – I'm sorry, Phil. Uh, I in, I expect <laughs> in, uh, in 2005, I, uh, I wrote a blog post where I, I made some predictions, and one of those predictions, I'm still standing by it, was that in 14 years we would have the first treatment uh, for uh, to, that would extend our lives. Um, that's that's been three years ago now. So basically, I'm standing by it and saying that we will have the first treatment within 11 years now. So um, now the, the thing is, what does that mean? The first treatment. It's what I'm talking about is some treatment that. Um, that prolongs the human lifespan, uh, the the ultimate human lifespan, and, and so if you're, if uh, you know, if your lifespan is, is, on the actuarial tables is now 80, then uh, there's some treatment that would push it off to maybe 90, and so not a whole lot of time, not a whole lot of additional time, but uh, maybe enough to uh, live long enough to get to the next uh, generation of uh, of treatment. So that's the hope, anyway. I, and I think that's uh, I think that's a good way of uh, a good way of framing that whole question. I think that's a good way of uh, a good way of looking at that. And I think that's a fair a fair projection. Now, do do you care to say what that will be, or does it is, is, is does the ambiguity of that that that's what gives you room to say it will happen within eleven years? 
Well, that, part of it is the ambiguity because you can say, well, there's there's this thing or there's this other thing. Well, one of the things that I'm looking at that looks like it's it's going to happen is uh, there's there is a um, there it's, it's okay, actually Stephen, sold as before you make that point, Stephen. Before you make that point, um, are we going to have to get some kind of adult supervision for the chat room? I, I, I'm just I'm, <laughs> I'm just throwing that question out there. Um, Hey, hey, this is a program about the future, uh, okay, about what's possible and what's not possible. Maybe you guys would like to talk about that. I, you know, I, I don't mean to limit your, uh, your, your subject matter. I'm sorry, Stephen, go ahead. What were you about? Okay. Res, resveratrol is a supplement that you can buy in the store right now. And it, what, there is, there, apparently there are, are some, you know, some things about this, this uh, supplement that, um, it almost tricks your body into believing that you're eating less than you are and that you're exercising more than you are. And so, um, they, you know, they, they, you know, they look at this and they go, well, why is this? You know, what, what is, you know, and it's, and it's something that they actually got from red wine. Okay. Resveratrol is, uh, is something that they harvest from red wine and, and people who drink red wine apparently have a benefit from it. And uh, and so they 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 look at this and they've studied it and they've come up with a uh, with a drug that apparently is a thousand times more potent, and and it's called certain or S I R T U I N is is uh, the name of this drug I believe. Uh, but at any rate, uh, if if this thing uh, goes through the uh, clinicals and they, and and it and it's shown to be safe that may very well be the first life extension drug and you know it could be and that that could definitely be uh, arrived within 10 years so. okay and even if it's not you can keep your project your your prediction as one will and you're still right even if it's even if it's something, even, even if it's something else yeah exactly so it's all in how we uh, it's all in how we phrase these things well i see we're getting very close to our time Stephen. what do you think about spending an extra segment on this this evening you cool with that sure yeah I'm, 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 i've got to, i've got the time on my hand so yeah okay let's uh let's do this we'll just say we're going to have an extra segment this evening fast forward radio we're talking about what's possible what's reasonable to expect will ever happen what's reasonable to expect will happen in our lifetimes and if you'd like to join us in that discussion, please contribute to the online chat with some thoughts on what's possible and what's not possible, or give us a call at 347-215-8972. And in fact, now I'm, I'm giving it over to the, uh, to the chat folks. Uh, someone come up, uh, come up with another uh, projected impossibility. I want to see something else that someone thinks is impossible or that they'd like to ask whether that's impossible. And while we're waiting for the chat room to come up with that, uh, Let's see. I've got another one. Okay. Uh, uh, here's a fun one. How about making personal uh, human flower, human powered flight, uh, flight, human beings flying under their own power using no visible vehicle of any kind, the principal means of transportation for most people. So people just flying around to get to where they want to go. Okay. And any particular propulsion in, uh, uh, or, or uh, way where they're defeating gravity? No, I've learned my lesson from you. Um, I don't have leave to leave it ambiguous. Out. Yep, yep, exactly. So it can be done any number of uh, any number of ways. But okay. could is it possible that we could all fly under our own power using no vehicle? So like Superman or you know Peter Pan or whatever, uh, and and that becomes like our our major means of getting around. I think that there's nothing uh, that would preclude it. 
no no physical law of the universe that would keep us you know t- keeps us tied to the ground i mean you got gravity but i mean you can there are lots of ways to overcome gravity and so um you know that i i think it is it is possible now there's some practical reasons why i think that that's not going to be the principal way that we we travel in the future okay well that's the question is it reasonable to expect humanity will ever achieve that result no and the reason I mean, the reason is it's got to in my mind it's got to pass my mother test. Okay, could okay. I see my mother traveling that way? Mm. No, she's a very conservative lady. She would be scared to death doing that. It's uh, it would not appeal to her at all. She, um, you know, when when she when she flies in an aircraft, it needs to be a big air, a big airplane, or she's uncomfortable with it. That's you know so she that's that is a one reason there are there are plenty of people like her that would not deal well with that kind of travel I don't think so you know uh, but you know th- think of it this way though you're you're a kid and you're born into the world where people do that on a regular basis and you just get used to traveling like that then uh, yeah that's, yeah I uh, think if you take if you take away the requirement that it become the principal way that everyone gets around. Um, then it's just a matter of, well, it's not precluded by the universe, and it would be wicked fun for, for those who, uh, who had it as a principal means of getting around. I mean, my, my example on this is always Second Life. And definitely, in any virtual world, this will be huge. This will be a major way that people get around, just because it's so nice to uh, you know, say, hey, gravity doesn't count, gravity doesn't matter, I'm going to fly, rather than... Uh, rather than have to rely on walking or taking a motorcycle or getting in a speedboat or, you know, any, any other uh, any other means of getting around that you can think of. I'll just jump into the air, and now I'm flying towards towards where I want to go. It's great fun in some place like Second Life. It would be hugely fun uh, up here in the real world, too, out here in the real world, however, however you want to look at it. Um, and it would be – it could be made – it could be enabled by a number of different – Technologies, nanotechnology, obviously would would have to be employed there somehow. It would have to be some kind of, uh, probably be some kind of uh, utility fog application or, or or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> some kind of anti gravity technology comes online. But um, but I think yeah, if you take away the requirement that it become what everybody do and uh, what everybody does, and just say is it, is it reasonable to expect that this is something that uh, people would adopt and and people would. Uh, make part of their list. Maybe not even really so much for transportation as for recreation. Uh, yeah. Would probably be the, ulti- the ultimate uh, uh, application of it. Then you got to go. Yeah, I think that that uh, that would be reasonable to expect. Whether it's reasonable to expect in our lifetime, I have to shelve that one um, because it, it comes close to something that we haven't gotten to yet, and I don't want to talk about it just yet. We'll we'll save that for the. For the very last. Okay, Michael, over in the chat room, what have they come up with? What are our scenarios for things that may or may not be possible? It sounds like the um, the one thing we've definitely agreed is absolutely impossible by any definition is that uh, WG's mother-in-law is not going to not be a pain in the ass. In fact, she is going to be a pain in the ass, and that's just it. <laughs> That's that's just a that's just a law of the universe right there. <laughs> it's like you got uh, first law thermodynamics and the constant you know the conservation of energy, second law entropy, third law WG's mother-in-law is a pain in the ass. <laughs> okay, well there it is. 
if 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 that's how the universe works, look, that's how it works. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna argue with established science. Okay, so if, uh, if 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 that's where we are, uh, WG, sorry, um, you know, but at least you know what you, you know what to expect. I guess that's the uh, that's the good news. It's uh, therefore reasonable to expect that that will continue uh, throughout the rest of your life, WG. So. Uh, Good luck with that. Okay, any other uh, entries into into the realm of the possible or impossible? Okay, because you threw it over here. Um, it looks like people are are you know uh, typing away, trying to come up with stuff. Hypercomputers are probably impossible, says Matt. A, I don't even know what a hypercomputer is, and B, Matt, you're going to have to define um, a hypercomputer. Therefore, hyper I agree with him. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, give us more detail on what a hypercomputer is. Yeah, explain what a hypercomputer is. I mean, if if you're talking about a quantum computer, I would have to disagree. Um, They've already done that. Yeah, exactly. And, and to to you know, they, we have limited quantum computers already. So what what are you talking about there, Matt? You have to give us a definition. I'm guessing that it is a quantum computer, but that it's a quantum computer that runs uh, a particular kind of application that maybe is a, a quantum computer that's running. Um, a particular kind of program across several different dimensions, right? It, it, it's working. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I will not speculate. We'll let uh, we'll let Matt tell us what a hypercomputer is. And meanwhile, I'll throw out another one while we're waiting for that answer. How about this? Um, oh, here it is. Hypercomputers can solve undecidable problems, such as the halting problems. Oh, okay. All right. So. Um, Are the hypercomputers uh, the computers, uh, Phil, that actually use uh like different universes to help solve problems is that the uh is that what a hypercomputer theoretically is I, i've heard something well, along think, those lines i think any quantum computer technically does that right any okay. quantum computer is technically working through multiple different quantum states not all of which are quote unquote in our universe uh and and therefore uh is is working through multiple universes um, but uh, I, I think I think Matt's taken us far inside baseball here uh, yeah. with uh, undeci undecidable problems such as the halting problems. And uh, let's I, I tell you what, let's not dig too deep into that. Just to say that if if it truly is an undecidable problem, then by definition uh, it would seem, can't be it would seem to be excluded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if they really are undecidable problems, then yep, hypercomputers uh, can't exist because their challenge is to do something that uh, that that cannot be done. But at that point, we we run we run into the problem with words the other way, right? I, we, we we talked about this this problem with uh, with how how the way we use words limits uh, what we know and what we're able to uh, say about the universe. And, and and here here we bump back into it again. You know what what really is an undecidable problem versus a a decidable problem? Oh, a little more info from Matt. He says Turing pretty much used them as an abstract argument, and their workings are just magic. Okay, so yeah, it's it solves a it solves an undecidable problem. It's a it's a magic computer that uh, um, uh, maybe this would be an example that makes uh, uh, that, that makes two plus two equal to five. Right? So I, I'm I'm guessing Turing used these theoretical hypercomputers as an example of what he, the computers he was talking about inventing were not. Maybe maybe Probably he was. So. Yeah, or, or he helped, well, he helped right, define so computer uh, as not this. Okay. Exactly. Right. Okay. Interesting stuff. Okay, so the hypercomputer is a uh, we've we've figured out that that one is impossible. Okay, I'm going to throw out another one. Let's okay. let's do let's do another one here. How about 
did I we talked about bringing um, bringing mammoths back. We talked about bringing a Neanderthal back. How about the retrieval of all lost species? Okay, according to what we know right now, DNA has a shelf life of five hundred. Uh, excuse me, fifty thousand years. Anything okay. older than 50,000 years, the DNA is just degraded to the point there's nothing there to, to retrieve. So, so um, barring by a time what we know machine. now, yeah, Jurassic Park is impossible. Uh, right. that, that genetic material would not be available inside the amber for us to bring out, put inside the frogs, and hatch new dinosaurs. So, okay, so sadly, uh, bringing all species back would be impossible. Now, David Ray says, what about time travel? Yeah. Hey, that's a good one. We've uh, we've discussed that one on the program before. Is time travel possible? Stephen, your thoughts? Well, um, yes, based on uh, some some theoretical things that have just come out in the last year or so. Um, it largely involves wormholes and old things that they've been talking about for years, but practically impossible. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe not uh, prohibited by the laws of the universe, but uh, practically impossible. Uh, Michael makes a good point. Uh, time travel forward, possible. Time travel Terrible. backward, it maybe not possible. Uh, we, we, I think if we're going to be strict, like we were with uh, with warp drive, if, in fact, because as you know, it's the same issue, right? Traveling back in time and traveling fast in life, same thing. Yes. So uh, we're going to have to say. Traveling forward in time, possible. That's how we get to the end of each show. Uh, traveling backward in time, no. Uh, not possible as we currently understand the universe. So I think traveling forward in time, uh, reasonable to expect it will happen? Yeah. Ever? Yeah, I think it, sure. I think it's reasonable to expect it will. In our lifetimes, I'm not, I'm not as sure, although I wrote a post called My Retirement Cruise in which I talk about uh, a very old version of myself uh, getting in a spaceship and moving about uh, – 20 to 30,000 years into Earth's future to see what's going to happen next. And uh, I don't know that it, it, whether it's reasonable to expect that will happen or not. It, it, certainly is, uh, uh, it certainly is not excluded by the laws of the universe, and I think we will do it one day. Whether we do it in our lifetimes, eh, that one might have a lot to do with how long our lifetimes actually get. So that's a, a great, great examples, David, and I'm sorry we keep making all your examples impossible. We'd sure like to, you know, help you out and give you, throw you a bone, uh, but uh, so far, you're, you're, uh, you're kind of batting a, a big goose egg on this one. How about a bridge spanning the Atlantic Ocean? Well, um, we could do that, yeah. That's certainly uh, possible. Reasonable to expect that humanity no. will ever do that? No, uh, I don't think that humanity is likely to do that in our lifetimes. Uh, you know, if, if we, you know, you never say never on something like that. If it's technically possible... There may be some, maybe in a few generations, some uh, some future humanity might 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 do it, but uh, not in our lifetimes. I wouldn't think. I, I I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to have to agree. It's not it's not reasonable to expect we do it in our lifetimes because we have perfectly viable ways of getting material and people across the Atlantic Ocean without doing that. Um, whether it's reasonable to expect that it will ever happen. I think it probably will happen one day, but it'll be for some completely weird purpose that uh, that we aren't thinking of right now. It won't be so that we can drive cars across the ocean uh, because that that won't matter at that point. It, it will it, 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 if it happens, 
it will happen for reasons that uh, that we can't even imagine right now. So right. I, I think it's maybe not reasonable to expect. Hmm, I, I'm talking in circles now. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Have to have to think about that. I just I thought it was a fun one, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give. Let's see. I've got one more fun one I want to throw out there. Or do I do I have one more? Okay. Oh yeah. Of course. Uh, eradication of hunger worldwide. Um. Yeah, uh, that's uh, certainly there's nothing, uh, no no law of the universe that says that people have to starve on this planet. So, um, yeah, I, I think we can do that. I think it would be desirable to do that. You know, I, I, the reason, you know, the the world actually uh, is quite capable of making enough food to feed people on the on this planet right now. It seems to me that most of most of our famines are politically. Uh, and uh, maybe caused by war and, and, and various, you know, political problems. So the uh, question is, is it reasonable to expect that we'll ever overcome those problems to the point that uh, hunger will be eliminated? And I think it is reasonable. I think it's reasonable okay. to expect that that will happen one day. The much harder question is whether it's reasonable to expect that to happen in our lifetimes, and uh, I expect that it will. I think that uh, sufficient changes are going to occur because – there's something coming. Uh, you know, something's going to happen, something wonderful, as we like to say. Um, anything that's possible and beneficial, I think it's reasonable to expect, will eventually happen. But what we've got going on right now is a, an extreme acceleration of technological development. So beca because of this coming event that we refer to as the singularity, which we've not spent any time at all on this evening, um, Anything that it's reasonable to expect will happen eventually with the possibility, uh, allowing for the possibility of the singularity. Anything that it's reasonable to expect will happen eventually, it's reasonable to expect will happen in your lifetime. Including that bridge across the ocean. Including that bridge across the ocean because post-singularity will have motivations to do things that we don't understand now. Right. So... The, the world we live in, uh, the, the old canard, okay, that anything is possible is actually much closer to being true than I think most of us realize. And I believe that we stand on the precipice of possibilities being realized that are, are, are well beyond uh, anything we've talked about tonight and well beyond uh, what most people have dared even to imagine. And I think it's reasonable to expect that the singularity will occur in our lifetimes and reasonable to expect that vast worlds of possibility are about to be realized uh, by, by all of us that, uh, that are well beyond anything, Stephen, that even guys like you and I are capable of talking about. <laughs> I, I think, Phil, that um, it's, uh, we're long overdue for a show where we explain what the, what the technological singularity is and why we think it's coming soon. So maybe we can talk about that next week. Okay, we might we might get into that next week. I, we're, we're talking to a potential guest for next week, and if uh, if we have that guest on, we might go in a slightly different direction. But if uh, if if not that guest, if if a different guest, or if uh, no guest at all, then uh, let's make that our topic. Okay. And now, what's our music for this week? Okay. Um, the uh, the name of the song is "You Don't Know" by Nilo. It's another Austin band. I've been playing a lot of music out of Austin the last few weeks. So. Austin's a great music city, for sure. Yep. 
So the song is You Don't Know by Nilo? That's right. All right. Well, thanks for putting that together, Stephen. Uh, enjoyed talking with you as always. Michael, thanks to you, to all of our friends in the chat room, and to everyone listening live, everyone uh, who listens to the podcast. Thank you for being a part of Fast Forward Radio, and we look forward to being with you again same time next week. Until then, good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.